Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we pause today to say thank you that we have your word. As we saw in the video this morning, there are so many people groups that don't have it yet, haven't heard, and yet we have. Give us that sense of appreciation for your word and for who you are and what you mean to us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was glad that Eric made that introduction when he did, uh, use that term beloved there, because I'm not sure if he knew what I was preaching on that he would have said that same thing. Uh, I chose a controversial title. Uh, this was going to be my last one. I thought, I'm going to choose a controversial one. <laughs> Joy in the snow. Uh, and the, the reason I say it's controversial is because over the years I have found in this church, we have a love-hate relationship with snow. <laughs> there are those that love it. And I think, I think there are those that have probably been praying for it already. <laughs> At least up on the mountain, maybe not down in the valley, but up on the mountain. And then there are others in this church that hate the idea of snow. When that first snowflake comes, they want to jump in the car and head south. And so we have that problem going on here. And the running joke over the years was that I was the one responsible for the snow. When it would snow, they'd say, Pastor Dan's been praying for snow again. Because I happen to agree with those that love the snow. It's great. But actually, I wasn't responsible. I was reading in Job the other day, and I found in Job 28 or 38, 22, where it speaks of the fact that God has the snow in his storehouses. So if you don't like it, you better blame him, not not Pastor Dan here. I was going to keep the title a secret until this morning because I thought you know if those that hate snow hear about that they're not going to come Sunday morning uh, I, I couldn't quite do that because uh, Lori called me up last Sunday and asked what my topic was and what scripture was so she could pick out the music so I thought well I, I at least have to tell Lori that uh, when she found out she laughed <laughs> I, I don't know why. I don't know if it's, she laughed because she likes snow or she laughed because this is a way of getting rid of Pastor Dan. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know on that. Uh, I, I told somebody else on Friday what the, the subject was, and, and her reply was, you've got one more day. Can't you come up with something different <laughs> between now and, and then? So uh, God gave me the message, so I wasn't about to change it there. And I'm not sure how you would respond if it snows tonight or tomorrow. I don't know for sure what side you're on on that equation. But somewhere in the last couple of years on Facebook, Ginger found the saying that's in the top of your notes there. 
she copied it out and made a plaque for me that sits in, in my office. It simply says, if you choose not to find joy in the snow, you will have less joy in your life, but still the same amount of snow. <laughs> now think of that. Well, I'm going to read it again because you might have missed the message of that. If you choose not to find joy in the snow, you will have less joy in your life, but still the same amount of snow. I find in that saying, and the reason I like it is it's not so much the snow, but I find in it an important life lesson. We can, you can take the snow out and put a lot of different things in there. Uh, the snow is merely an illustration, but have you ever noticed how life has a way of dumping storms on us? Life has a way of, of bringing snow into our lives, not that white stuff out there, but it comes in many forms. Uh, one recent storm that hit us was 11 weeks ago. I was sitting at my desk and I heard a cry and a crash and I went downstairs and there is Ginger on the cement slab, uh, unable to get up in, in a serious uh, condition there. Uh, you know what? That wasn't planned for that day. We we hadn't asked for that. It, it just happened. And life has a way of doing that to us. So instead of snow, you might want to insert pain or perhaps loss or rejection uh, or maybe the effects of old age. And if you suffer from that, <laughs> it, it, we, we don't ask for it, but, but it comes our way, whether we like it or not, and, and we have to deal with it. Can we find joy in that? Maybe we need to put in there the pandemic. We didn't ask for that. But can we have joy in the midst of, of what is taking place in our society today? It probably would be different for all of us if we were going to write that, that statement. We all face situations over which we have little or no control. How can we find joy in those times? Or perhaps we should ask, should we even rejoice in those times? Well, Scripture says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord when things are going great. No, that's not quite what he says. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So if he emphasizes it, if he says it twice, he's emphasizing it there. First uh, Thessalonians 5.16, in writing to the Thessalonians, he said, rejoice evermore. And then just a few verses later, he says, this is God's will for you. So it's not a question of whether we rejoice or not. God has already said we are to rejoice in those difficult times. But that's not always easy, is it? How do we do that? Well, let's take a look at Hebrews. I think we, we find the, the key in this portion of, of Scripture there. As we look at it, he begins with a great cloud of witnesses. To understand what he's saying there, I think we need to go back to chapter 11 to get the context. I think you find the cloud of witnesses are those men and women who walked by faith and are now home with the Lord in glory. They're the heroes of the faith. They exercise tremendous faith in God. They demonstrated that faith by their life, by their walk, by their worship, by uh, how they lived in spite of their circumstances. 
I, I don't believe that they are up there watching you and I run our race. I, I don't think that's the picture that, that he has, the writer of Hebrews has in, in mind at this point. I, I, I got a feeling that if they're home with the Lord in glory, they have something far greater to view than, than what's going on down here in this earth. I, I, I don't I'd almost wonder if this earth is, is a dim memory to them today. They're witnessing the glories of heaven. They're witnessing being with the Savior. They, they are at home with God in glory. And, and as Paul said, I hath not seen nor ear heard the things that God hath prepared for those who love him. So it's, it's not that they're up there watching us run our race. They are witnesses to the fact that God is able to meet you and I in the storm. God is able to provide. God is able to protect. God is able to see us through the the storms and the snow. They are there to testify to the fact that it's possible for you and I to find joy in the snow. We, We can experience that today. Some of them won some tremendous victories as they walk through life. If you look back, chapter 11, verse 32 says, what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets. Now, you need to go back in your Old Testament and, and look some of them up if you don't remember their stories. God worked in a tremendous way during the, the days of the judges in, in these individual lives. It says, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword from... Weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put uh, foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection and others were tortured. Well, we're jumping ahead there. Uh, They won some tremendous victories. Why? Because they believed in God and God was with them and God was able to work in their lives. But lest we jump to the wrong conclusion, in verse 35, he says, others were tortured not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mocking and scourgings, yes, chains and imprisonments. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and ill-treated. So they didn't all win those tremendous victories. Some of them went through some, what we would call, real storms, trials, they gave their lives for for the sake of, of the Lord that they loved. And yet, when you come down to verse 38, it says, Men of whom the world was not worthy. And I, that men is in italics, so it wasn't in the original. So it, it includes the men and women, I think, that are mentioned there in that chapter. It says, they, uh, verse 39, And all of these having gained approval through their faith. Those that won the victories gained the approval. Those that gave their lives for the sake of, of the, their testimony won God's approval as well. And he goes on to say, God has provided something better for us so that apart from them, they should not be made perfect. They are there to testify to us that in the midst of the storm, God is there. We get upset if we're not careful with what's going on in our society. Uh, any of you upset about the political process, what's happening there? Somebody put it in perspective just a little while ago when they said, in this election, 
as critical and important it is to us in this election, we are not, or we are electing a president. We are not electing a savior. It's good to keep in mind. God is still on the throne. God will be there no matter which way it goes. God is still on the throne. So when we find life is not perfect as many of those in the heroes of faith found, when we're in the midst of the storm, what are we to do? Three thoughts come out of this passage. First of all, he says, I want you to lay aside the weights. That's the the first command that we have here. Have you ever noticed that life involves choices? We have the ability to make all kinds of choices in our society. We can choose where we're going to live. We can choose what kind of job we want to be involved in. Young people can choose where they want to go to school, uh, who they're going to marry and so forth. We, We have a tremendous freedom to choose in our society. But there are times when we cannot choose the circumstances. That's in God's hands. We cannot always alter the circumstances or make them fit the way that we think they should. In those times, we still have a choice. We can choose to accept what God is doing or we can get upset with God and and, and turn away from him in those moments. So I think that's one of the reasons he uses that term, weights. The weights were weights that were strapped to the feet of the runners. When they were training, when they were preparing to to race, they would strap those weights on their ankles. I have a set of those at home. Don't use them, but I have them. (laughs) I I have them because a while back I had surgery on one knee, and my therapist thought they would be good for me, and I used them for for therapy. And just in case I, I need them again, they're in the closet, uh, not doing me much good right now, but if I need them, I, I, I have them there. I, I, I'm wondering if I'm going to have to drag them out for Ginger when she goes into therapy. <laughs> They're available. <laughs> they, they can be used there. But those weights are for a purpose. And, and I think the writer Hebrews chooses that word for that very reason, because just as those weights have their purpose, so does the trials and the storms and the snow that God allows to come in our life. He doesn't just send them for the sake of making life miserable for us. He is doing something in us through them. We may not understand what he is doing, but he does. I think of in the Old Testament, the story of Job. You're you're familiar with the patriarch Job and how he endured all kinds of suffering. And if you read the book for 38 or 39 chapters, Job is wrestling with that question, why? Why would God allow this into his life? And you know what? God never told him why. He had to wait till glory to find out what all that God was doing in that. But yet I wonder how many of us have been blessed by the patience and the endurance and the testimony of Job. God knew what he was doing and, and God ultimately blessed him. But if we're not careful, in the midst of the storm, what do we do? I don't know about you, but I'm tempted at times to have a pity party. Poor me. Why is this happening to me? And I can understand if it happens to you, but but why me? Uh, Or if we're not careful, we entertain the sin of bitterness. 
now. We get bitter with God for allowing that to happen or resentment. I, I think of the example of the British agnostic of the last century, H.G. Wells. He grew up knowing there was a God. Uh, he came to the university and one day he walked into the classroom and the teacher was handing out the test papers. It was an accounting class. It wasn't his favorite subject. He had completely forgotten that they were to have a major test that day. Had not studied, wasn't prepared for it. He knew he wasn't. He had no chance of passing it except for prayer. And so he went to prayer. He prayed, God, help me to pass this exam. You know what happened? He failed miserably. (laughs) Uh, His response to that was, okay, Mr. God, if that's the way you're going to be, I will never pray again. And to our knowledge, he never did. He allowed sin to crowd into his life because of the circumstances. We need to lay aside the weights and the sin so that they don't rob us of our joy. In saying that, I'm not denying the reality of the storm. I'm not denying the reality of the pain, nor am I suggesting that we say, praise the Lord, I'm in pain today. That's not what I have in mind at all in in that. I had a a man back in 1966, I went to Alaska for the first time on a summer mission trip. And we were primarily there to help build a school or build some buildings for the school, actually. Uh, School had been in progress for many years, uh, Christian school for for Native students. Uh, Fourteen of us went up from Latorno College and uh, had a great time working together. Then there were others that came in, some for a week, some for two weeks that that helped in in the construction work. There was a man who came from New York. Uh, His name was Stosh. He was a Polish individual. He could tell you all kinds of Polish jokes. He he was good at that. But... uh, I, I remember working with him one day, and as happens when you're not a professional carpenter, sometimes you hit your thumb with the hammer, don't you? Uh, those of you that are professionals never do that, I'm sure. <laughs> but uh, uh, we weren't professionals. So, uh, uh, the first thing he said was, praise the Lord, I hit my thumb. I thought that was rather strange. That That's not the first thing I say if if I hit my thumb, I, it's not praise the Lord. I, I've hit my thumb. I, I think, how can I be so stupid? But uh, I don't think he's suggesting here that we say praise the Lord for the pain. But there is something in those situations that we can find to praise the Lord for. And, and we'll, we'll look at that in, in, in just a few minutes there. But uh, in Hebrews chapter 13 in verse 5 and 6 he, he speaks of the fact that in this life in even in the midst of the storms and the trials we're not alone he said i will never leave you i will never forsake you and so if nothing else as we hit our thumb or whatever we can rejoice in the fact that god is there god knows what he's doing Don't let the fact that God's plans may be different from yours rob you of your joy. You need to recognize that God ultimately knows what he is doing and you can rest in the fact that he knows what is best in every circumstance. I think of Joseph in that connection back in the book of Genesis in 
you're familiar with the story of Joseph. His brother sold him into slavery. Then he was falsely accused and, and put in prison and eventually became second ruler in the land of Egypt. And then is reunited with his family and his father for several years. And then his father dies at the age, I think it was 147. And in chapter 50, his brothers, I think, never quite reconciled in their mind what they had done. And so they come to him and they say, you know what? Dad said, you have to forgive us. Now, it would have been nice if dad had said that or if they had come and asked for forgiveness, but that, that's not the approach that they take. We don't find anywhere where they really say, you know, we're sorry for what we did there. But uh, they, they do come and say, dad wants you to forgive us, wanted you to forgive us there. Do you remember what Joseph said in chapter 50, verse, verse 20 there? He said, you meant it for evil. God used it for good. And isn't that true so often in our life? The world may mean it for evil. Others may uh, fight against us, but God uses it for good. Every circumstance that comes our way, uh, we, we glibly quote Romans eight twenty eight for somebody that's going through a trial. Uh, but do we believe it ourselves? God is able to cause all things to work together for good to those who love him. Even the storms, even if it snows tomorrow morning, can we say, praise the Lord? He's using that for good in my life. We lay aside the weights. And then the second thing here is we run with patience or endurance. Now, again, back up in your scripture here to chapter 10. Uh, Go down to verse 35 there. Therefore, he says, don't throw away your confidence which has a great reward. Aren't we tempted to do that when things go wrong? Things don't go the way we think they should. We begin to doubt God's love or God's concern. He said, you have need of endurance or patience here so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. He who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. If he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I don't know about you, but there are times when I find I have need of patience. Any of you struggle with that? I'm not suggesting you necessarily pray for that. You understand that the process of getting patience in James chapter 1. I was so glad that during my time here, I didn't have to preach the book of James because Pastor Jim was preaching it for us. And Because uh, I find every time I preach from James chapter 1, diverse temptations and so forth there, that before I give the message, the Lord will send a trial just to see, are, are you going to count it all joy or aren't you? It, it's just just the, the way it, it works there. We need his patience in our life. One, when I was in uh, Multnomah going to seminary there, I was interim pastor at a small church on the on the edge of Portland and and there was a young man that was teaching the adult Sunday school class and and one quarter he decided to do a series on the Psalms he he had a a book that 13 lessons in it he was going to in those 13 weeks uh, go through some of the Psalms he started out with the premise uh, an outline for the the Psalms is twofold one life is tough 
Uh, we don't have to argue with that, I don't think. We, we, we all have had tough times in our lives. But his second point was God is good. And that sums up the Psalms for us. Yes, life is tough. We will face storms. We will go through trials. But remember, God is good. In John 16, Jesus reminded the disciples in verse 33, he said, in the world you shall have what? Tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. First Peter chapter 4, he reminds us, or excuse me, chapter 5. Peter says, talking about our adversary in verse 8 there, in verse 9 he says, Resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. We're not exempt from the sufferings of life. People in the world get cancer, we get cancer. People in the world fall down the steps, we fall down the steps. <laughs> on and on it goes. We're not exempt from that. But notice that's not the end of Peter's thought here. He said, after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God has a purpose in what touches our lives. He's perfecting us. He's preparing us for eternity. Remember, in the midst of the storm, you serve a God who is good, who knows exactly what he is doing in your life. As we think of running our race with patience, I think it's important for us to remember that we're not competing with one another in the race. Reminded of that. I think it was this week or maybe it was last week I saw an article on on the internet about Bloomsday. Now some of you have run for many years in Bloomsday. Did you run it this year? Any of you? They had a virtual Bloomsday. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. What what it was was you had to go out and lay out I think it's a 7. Point, is it 7.4 miles? Uh, a course of 7.4 miles, set a date, go out and run that race, record your time and send it in and then you're qualified to get one of the t-shirts for this year. Uh, uh, I didn't do it, but uh, I, I don't know if the deadline was over when I, I found the news or not. But you know, in that kind of a race, everybody, they weren't competing with one another. They each had their individual race to run. And that is the way it is with Christ as well. We are called not to compete with one another. We're called here to encourage one another, to build one another up. Uh, We're not here to play politics or have power plays. We're here to build each other up in the faith. And we're not even here to compare storms. I hope you don't compare storms with your brother or sister. I've seen that so often in People go in to visit somebody in the hospital. And what's the first thing they say? Well, yeah, you're struggling, but but my surgery was worse than yours. Yeah, Yeah. they're comparing storms. That doesn't help the person that's there in the hospital bed. Uh, we, We need to go and we need to encourage those that are struggling those that are in the midst of a storm. They don't need our comparison. They, they need our encouragement and our, to know that God is able to work in our lives. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 9 in that connection. Paul uses not just the race 
illustration there, but the boxing illustration as well, starting in verse 24. And uh, as we think of that, we celebrate the victories of athletes, don't we? How many of you have been following the uh, Seahawks? Got a good season this year. Uh, I don't think they've lost yet, unless they did this weekend. Uh, they've got a winning season going. Uh, the Mariners, we, we follow, or the Bulldogs, or the Cougars. Uh, we, we celebrate the victories that they have, but what we often fail to appreciate is the sacrifice, the pain, the hard work that went into their lives to get them to their point, that point in life. It, it, there, there's so much that, that they needed to endure. They needed patience to get to the top. And we need patience in our life to complete the work that God has for us. Uh, God is preparing us for glory. And that takes trials and that takes difficulties in this life. I'm reminded of this story of the man during the Great Depression. He lost his wife. He had two small children at home to take care of. He was out of work. He went from place to place day after day trying to find something to earn enough money just to put food on the table. Everywhere he went, he was he was turned away. He just One day he went to a place where they were building a, a cathedral, actually. And, and as he looked at that work, he saw a man sitting off to the side, had a triangular rock in his hand, and he was chipping away at it. And uh, out of curiosity, he went over and he asked him, what are you doing? And he said, the man said, do you see that hole up there at the top? He said, I'm shaping this down here so it will fit up there. And isn't that what God is doing in your life today? Shaping you, chipping away what has to be chipped away, preparing you for a glorious future with him in heaven. He is preparing us for something better. So that's why he gives us the third command here, and that is look to Jesus Keep your eyes fixed on him. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. I I think of my own personal life. God began a work in my life before I even knew there was a God. I had a a great-grandmother that prayed on a regular basis for me. I didn't appreciate that at the time, but but she did. I had a a, a Quaker lady that taught third and fourth grade in a one-room schoolhouse. And she was rough. She didn't follow their practice of nonviolence. <laughs> you step out of line, you paid the price. And every Monday morning she would ask who went to church or Sunday school. I didn't even know what church was. Sunday school, why do you want to go to Sunday school when you go to school five days a week? I, I was totally ignorant of anything to do with church or, or with God. I had a handicapped classmate that invited me to a bible club i thought that's going to get mrs james off my back i can't say i went to church but i can say i went to bible club this week now she won't make me feel like i'm a heathen Uh, all of these things added up before i even knew god or anything about god he had begun a work in me and i like philippians 1 6 where he says he that has begun a good work in you it's going to do what Drop you halfway through? No, that's not what it says. He's going to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's finishing what he started in our lives. Uh, After all of the examples that we have in chapter 11, why does he add one more? 
Well, I think Jesus becomes the ultimate example for us here, the supreme example. He chose his path. We cannot fathom the pain that he endured. We cannot fathom what it cost him to leave his glory in heaven. We haven't even seen that glory, let alone try to understand what it meant to step outside of it for 33 years. We can't understand the path that he walked and why he chose it. But notice the writer of Hebrews says he did it for the joy that was set before him. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the snow, there was joy. The joy of victory, the joy of sharing glory with us. And as we walk through the storms that God allows into our life, we can have that same hope today. In Second Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, Therefore do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, can you identify with that? Our outer man is decaying. Some of us are getting to that age, aren't we? Uh, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Notice he says our light affliction. If we wake up tomorrow and there's a foot of snow out there, that's just light affliction. (laughs) Don't get upset with it. It, uh, You suffer some area he says you know what compared to the eternal weight of glory it's nothing it's nothing god has something far greater in mind and in store for us our hope is not rooted in today our hope is rooted in eternity and that's what we need to keep in mind as we face the snow as we face the storms that that will come our way as we walk through this life, God is preparing us for eternity. And so let me ask you a couple personal questions here this morning. Is it snowing in your life today? Is Is there a storm that you're going through? Are you facing some special trial? If you're not, you will. I, I can guarantee that. <laughs> Unless God calls you home to be with him in glory, you're, you're going to face some trials as you walk through this life. Uh, there are many storms uh, uh, around us today. We, uh, how would you like to be living in Louisiana this morning? They're, they're in the midst of a storm, yet God's still there with them. What about California with the fires? What about the election process that's going on? Uh, what does that hold for us? Is, is it possibly going to bring a storm into our life, and into our situation? We all face trials as we go through this life. And it's easy to complain. And it's easy to get upset with the trials. Or go back to our original statement. If you choose not to find joy in the snow, you'll have less joy in your life, but you'll have the same amount of snow. You're not going to change the circumstances or the trial, but you can change your heart and your attitude. I, I was thinking of that when uh, I went down the stairs and I found Ginger there, uh, realized that it was serious. There was no way that I could carry her up 14 steps. I wasn't about to try that. Uh, e- even if I could, I don't think she would allow it because of the, the, the pain that was involved. Uh, All I could do was 
dial 911. And uh, you know what? I'm thankful for 911. There was something in the midst of that storm to thank the Lord for. I, uh, they were very professional. They asked what the emergency was, so where we were located. They even asked a, a foolish question. They asked me what color was your house. <laughs> I don't know what color it was supposed to be. Fortunately, Ginger heard that, and she said yellow. <laughs> uh, but uh, they, they, they were doing everything possible to get help there as quick as they could. I ran back up the stairs and got a blanket and a pillow to try and make her comfortable, thinking it's going to be 10 or 15 minutes before anybody gets here. I no sooner got down the bottom of the steps when there's a car at the entrance to the driveway. Some of you know Marie DeFrank. Uh, she's an EMT, and uh, she had heard the call on the radio. I don't know why she was out there. I don't know. Does she live out that way? Or Anyhow, she got the call, and she was there, just like that. She drove in, and I showed her where Ginger was at, and... Uh, Hardly turned around, and here comes another car. It was an Hawaiian fellow. I don't know what his name was. He lives just up the road from us, though. Greg, okay. Uh, he's an EMT as well. Uh, so immediately we had two EMTs, and they're, they're, they immediately start assessing the situation and doing what they need to do. Within a few minutes, the ambulance was there. And then along came a fire truck. and uh, There were several men there because... Uh, uh, she's not going to walk up that hill. <laughs> they had to put her on a litter and, and actually carry her up to, to, to the ambulance there. And, and it was amazing for the next two or three days how God brought person after person into our life to meet the needs that we were experiencing. Someone volunteered to bring supper that night, not knowing that Ginger was going to take a vacation and spend a night or two in the hospital. But uh, uh, when I found out she was going to the hospital, I said, you don't really need to bring it tonight. But she did anyhow. And she saw my feeble attempt to get a ramp so that I could get a wheelchair into the house. Uh, I, I found two ramps for getting a four-wheeler up into the back of a trailer or a pickup. And I put them on the steps. And it was rather steep, three steps. It wasn't made for that. And uh, she told her husband. And the next morning, her husband is there. And I can just read his mind. He's looking at that saying, that's not a ramp. (laughs) We're going to build you a ramp. And within a few hours, we had a a ramp that more than met met the need that that we needed. And on and on went reasons for us to say, thank you, Lord. Not for the pain, but thank you that in the midst of it, you're there. You know what you're doing. You're, You're working it out. For, for your honor and glory. Johnny Erickson Tata once wrote these words. She said, I do not care if I am confined to this wheelchair. Provided from it, I can bring glory to God. Is there a storm in her life? Certainly there was. She, she's been a paraplegic for years. And yet, if God can be glorified, she said, it's okay. Hudson Taylor, that great missionary to China, said, Trials afford God a platform for his working in our lives. Without them, he said, I would never know how kind, how powerful, how gracious he is. In the midst of the trials, he's revealing something to us. We can give him thanks and praise for that. There was a Scottish preacher who, while he was in seminary, went blind. 
he was engaged to be married. And uh, when he went blind, his fiancée said, I'm sorry, I can't live with a blind man. And she dumped him and walked away. Uh, He went on to preach for many years. And just before he died, he wrote these words. He said, my God, I have never thanked thee for my thorn. I have thanked thee a thousand times for my roses, but not once for my thorn. I've been looking forward to a world where I shall get compensation for my cross, but I have never thought of my cross as itself a present glory. Teach me the glory of my cross. Teach me the value of my thorn and show me that I have climbed to thee by the path of pain. Show me that my tears have made rainbows. What a way of looking at life. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the loss, can we see a glimpse of the glory of God? If we can, then I think we have a reason to find joy in the snow. And you know what? That saying is true. If we choose not to find joy in the snow, if we dwell on the pain and the suffering and and miss the blessing, we're still going to have the same amount of pain and suffering. It's not going to change that. But if we accept the fact that God is good and that he knows what he's doing and remember that what is touching our life today is temporary, then we have a reason to rejoice. We have a reason to give thanks and praise to him. With that, let's pray. Father, thank you that you know exactly what you are doing in our hearts and lives today. We confess we don't always understand what you are doing, but you do. And so we give you thanks and praise for that today and help us to open our eyes to the joy in the snow. We pray in Jesus' name.